Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast. This is episode eight, and today we are asking the question, is God male? We believe questions are an important part of every faith journey. And so often in church, we either ignore questions or allow our answers to those questions to become divisive lines in the sand that separate the chosen from the heretics. So through our discussion, we want to find better questions that are more helpful to our faith, that call us into action, and that bring unity to the church. And today I'm super excited because we have a special guest, a friend to all three of us, Miss Barbie Martinez. So let's get into it. So I'm sitting here with Barbie Martinez, who is uh, on staff with me at the church that I work at. She's involved in our student ministry, and she leads the women's ministry here at church and does like a bajillion other things as well. And not too long ago, Barbie and I co-taught our students together where we were addressing this question call uh, that we worded, is there only one way to identify with God? And so we began the message by asking students, how would you describe God or what is God like? And we allowed them to text in answers and we got all kinds of different answers to that question. But one thing I noticed is that of all the different things we got, God's like a father, God is a protector, God is a healer. There were exactly zero responses that in any way described God with any sort of feminine qualities. And we thought that that was really interesting. Yeah, I think that is something that um, in our culture... We think of God as male, God is, um, we pray to God as father. And so it just seems like the right way to a lot of people to identify God, to assign that particular gender, sex, whatever you want to call it, to the God that we serve. And I think that we do an injustice because we are negating so much of scripture that uses feminine terms to describe God. And we beginning in the very beginning, we know that God created man and woman in his image. So there's something about humanity reflected male and female that are both in the image of God. And I think we need to sort of throw that door open, have more conversations about that, because we may be doing some incredible damage um, especially in the culture we live in where we are seeing so much abuse in all kinds of ways <laughs> that we are not allowing girls or women in general to um, have a truer picture of the God that they serve um, that is represented in who they are as well. Yeah, I think we might want to diverge from our typical format just a little bit for this episode because you know, usually we go through 
what are some of the other views and maybe what's at stake for them. And I think with this question, it's a little obvious. It's like we obviously um, live in a somewhat still male-dominated society. They lived in a very much male-dominated society uh, in Jesus's time and before that when the Bible was being written. Um, And so this idea of male dominance is not new to anyone. We all are very familiar with it. We all experience it. And so maybe it's better to actually start with what is not helpful about this question and why. Because some people listening might be like, wait, 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 the Bible talks about God as female? Like they might have never, ever even read those passages, may not know that. And so they, they may not even realize that anything is wrong with the question of if God is male. They may have never even thought of that before. What I want to make clear at the onset of this episode is I think there's a way to to discuss this question with the pure intention of or impure intention of being controversial for the sake of being controversial. And that's not our intention. Our intention is fully God has been portrayed as male for a long time and and we see a lot of harmful side effects of that for people living their lives today. And we by no means are trying to be controversial or ruffle feathers or offend people just for the sake of controversy. Yeah. I'm glad you made that point. Yeah. And I think that this question is God male for so many, the way that we grew up, the question is like, or the answer seems really naturally. Well, yeah. I mean, we always call God. He scripture, typically always calls God. He, we have images of father. So at first thought, you might say, I don't get why that's not a helpful question. But part of the reason for me, this isn't helpful is a lot of these episodes, we start with a question that only can have a yes or no answer as is God male? Well, it's either yes or no for that question, which isn't really helpful because if the answer is yes, well, we've got a whole set of problems there that we'll talk about here in a moment. If the answer is no, then what other options do we have? And if the answer is no, then that means all the positive qualities of male would not be present in God. And so maybe it's not just in one or the other either or thing. But this question sets it up to only be an either or thing. Well, and I think, too, it's, it's interesting to consider why it makes people so upset to consider an alternative answer to that question. Because let's be honest, the shack which portrayed God as a woman <laughs> caused an enormous amount of conversation, argument, um, anger, uh, all kinds of things. And I just, I'm not saying that any of those things are right or wrong. I just think it's interesting that to consider another possibility can provoke um, just deep seated (laughs) emotions from people that feel strongly one way or the other. Um, I also want to say that I, I too, having it being in this culture, it's easy for me to identify with God as male um, because that's how I was raised. And I have a person in my life 
who will begin prayers with Father God, Mother God, and everything in me rebels against that, which is fascinating because I'm a woman, (laughs) but I identify with God as male, clearly, because the first time I ever heard that, it, it caused all kinds of feelings inside me. And I think that that is an interesting thing to explore. Um, I don't think we're going to get any kind of definitive answer, but I do think it is it's it reflects something really deep in the human psyche and in our culture of religion that we can get such a profound re- reaction over what appears to be a simple question. I think it's important for us to spend some time talking about the problematic aspects of this question, which is not a category that we always address in some of the other episodes we've done, but it's important here. I cannot tell you how many students or other people in ministry have used the phrase with me, I really struggle in my relationship with God and how I connect with God because my father treated me terribly. My father has never been around. My father left us and God is a father. And so I don't know how to identify with God in a healthy way. This is a real struggle for people trying to identify with God when we're told, well, God is only like this one thing, or God is only this one thing. And especially lately, Barbie could speak a lot more about this with all the things we've been um, seeing with the Me Too movement coming out of secular society and coming out of the church, just seeing some of the harm done from this male dominance culture And then the way that we've placed that on God has caused and continues to cause lots of problems. And one of the questions that comes down to for me is, well, this question, is God male? Is that the only defining characteristic of God? And is that even the only way that God is described in scripture? And the answer to that is no. I think we've got a list of some scripture references yes. here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Barbie, would you want to go over some of those? Okay. Um, well, if we have, of course, in John four twenty four, where it's clearly the statement is God is spirit and it assigns no sex to that. Um, in Deuteronomy four fifteen 15 uh, through 16, it said, the verses say, since you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, take care and watch yourselves closely so that you do not act corruptly by making an idol for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. The Israelites are told not to make any images of God that are male or female. Um, in Isaiah sixty six thirteen. It says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So mother, Isaiah 42, 14, for a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. This is God again, describing himself. And in the New Testament in Matthew 23, 
we have the verse that so many people are familiar with where um, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, female words, again, to describe God. So there, there are more. Those are just a few. Um, I think it's, you're ignoring scripture if you only assign male um, characteristics, male qualities to the God that we serve. And just like any way that we try to put God in a box, um, we're making a mistake. He should blow all those boundaries, all of, it's, he's so much bigger than um, any box we could put him in. And male is just one of those boxes. Yeah. Maybe for the sake of some um, structure, I feel like before this episode, I wrote down three reasons why I thought it was not helpful. And I feel like already we've kind of bounced between all three of these, actually. And they are um, that thinking of God only as male perpetuates the idea of this male dominance culture. And it perpetuates female objectification and subjugation. Um, And then the second thing is I think it perpetuates this idea of, and I made up a word here, but the Zeusification of God. And really all those pictures we have of God, when we think of like the old man in the sky with the big, long white beard, like that's Zeus. And that's the influence of Greek pagan culture coming into Christianity. In fact, um, Deos or Deos, like this Latin word for God is a transliteration of Zeus. And then the third is, uh, it perpetuates this idea of that whenever you see anthropomorphism in the Bible, which is basically when you attribute human characteristics to something not human, human characteristics to the divine, that's always meant to be poetic. It's always meant to be symbolism. And really, it's used in describing God because how can you put words to that which has no words to describe? Like, how can you describe the indescribable? How can you describe existence itself? And so those are the three, at least in my mind, and I think all three of those are really important for us to break down, especially um, the first one. So for me, another thing that really helped me with this whole question as I was trying to kind of knock down some presuppositions I had, when when we asked the question, what makes something or someone male? One of the first things we're talking about is sex. We're talking about organs, genitalia, not to sound crude, but that's one of the first things we're talking about. And so when you look at scripture and it says God doesn't have a body, like God is present everywhere and in everything. And you literally ask the question, well, do we think that God has male reproductive organs? It's kind of a silly question when you think about it to begin knocking down that stereotype with the question, is God male? And Barbie mentioned this earlier, but I, I think it's so important that when we, 
look at the beginning when God creates the first humans in God's image, God says that male and female are created in his image. In his image, he created them. So in some way, there's both masculine and feminine present in God, whatever that means. And as we were putting this message together, we were just blown away with how throughout time as that idea has gotten lost, it's created ridiculous harm. And there was this one quote that we came across from Augustine, who's like a big church father that we all look up to and writes all of these works we still reference today. And this is kind of a paraphrase of a quote from him, but he basically said, I don't see how woman was created to help man besides just birthing children. Cause if a woman was not given to man for help and bearing children, what else could she be useful for to work the land together? Ha ha ha. If man needed help with that, it would have been better to get help from another man. The same goes for having company. Isn't it way better in life and conversation when two friends live together than when a man and a woman live together? And then Augustine says, a woman together with her husband is the image of God so that together they're one image. But when she's alone, she's not the image of God. But when a man is alone, he is the image of God, just as he is when he's together with a woman And then you have the really famous passage from the gospel of Thomas where he's got Simon Peter uh, saying, let Mary leave us. Women aren't worthy of life. And Jesus says, well, I'll lead her to make her more male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males for every woman who will make herself male, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And essentially you see this idea forming that's like, since God is male, being male is more godly. So women are less godly, less connected to the divine. And the only way they can become more connected is if they take on more male qualities. And that's, that's not an idea that we've seen disappear from the ancient world. And I'd like to add real quick, uh, we can get into this later, but a lot of this has to do with the power of words and metaphors and names. And like what you just mentioned with the gender roles in the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve, Eve's a helper. And we have a connotation of helper in our society of like, you know, think of the movie, the help, the servants help doesn't have a strong connotation a lot of times, but in the Hebrew word, Helper can also be translated like redeemer or savior. And it's a much stronger emphasis on this idea of that Eve came to save Adam from his incompleteness. Wow. And I I think a lot of this whole conversation on gender and how to identify God comes back to the use of metaphors and names and how they affect us. And we can get into that later, but I wanted to add that real quick since we were talking about it. Am I wrong that the only, someone check me on this, the only other place in scripture where the word helper is used is to actually describe the Holy Spirit. 
So it's woman and the spirit, I think. I think I would so. want to check that. I don't want to state that as fact, but I think I've heard that before. Well, I know it is true that the word, the Hebrew word used to call Eve a helper is the same Hebrew word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe God as a helper to the people, which really affects the way that we look at what helper means in relation to like hierarchy and power dynamics. Yeah, I think that, um, Andrew, you're exactly right that we attach all of the things that we think of when we hear the word helper, which is a whole problem with translations and interpreting the Bible without knowing all the all that goes behind those words in the original language. But I think that like all bad ideas, especially when it comes to human relationships, horrible things come when people use power to, I I don't even know what the right word is here, but to control, to manipulate, to keep some sense of their worth comes from their ability to subjugate another. I mean, that's racism is stemmed from this idea of holding on to power. And I think we all know that it's true that the warping of the image that comes with the fall, it's not surprising that we have seen that raise its ugly head generation after generation, not only in male-female relationships where there's male domination over females throughout history, but in race domination over other races. It's a part of a sinful, (laughs) pride-based, warped sense in ourselves that would somehow want to justify that. And those quotes to me are just an indication of that. And I, you know, it's hard to read those as a woman and not just want to laugh out loud. It seems so ridiculous. And although we have come a long way in a, in a lot of ways in our society, there are many others that have not, we still see um, the remnants of these ideas that male is dominant and it, that those two are equated. Right. And I just, I, I just don't, um, I don't know if it's, I don't know how to fix that. Well, and I would even add to that, that male as more dominant tends to be the result of the beginning thought that male is more sacred, male is more holy, male is more divine than female, which again, we go back to, but the image of God contains both. Which if you look at Genesis and so many people talk about and fixate over the order of creation, the amount of days and get into those fine details. If if you really want to do that and you look at the pattern in Genesis, when God creates the land and the land creatures, there's a pattern of lesser to greater. And if you want to do that, you can kind of read between the lines and see what was made last. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, and I think there's also something, when I say dominant, there, there's also something to just sheer physical strength. You know, there's always this ongoing, this conversation happens a lot, ninja warrior days, you know, a woman can't do ninja warrior, you know, we're physically different. 
And sometimes that dominance is just literally equated to just the physical strength of the of males over women. And that even that basic idea, which I think is true, I don't argue that men are physically stronger than women, but physical strength has absolutely nothing to do with spiritual identity. And I think those things get confused a lot. My ability to um, physically control you makes me stronger, better. I don't know what word you want to put in there. And I just think that's also, that's not even the right conversation. That's a totally different conversation. Right. And that's, I mean, that's like only generally true. I mean, there's some males that are small and dainty, uh, if you want to use that word. And there's some females that uh, could beat all of us up like way stronger than uh, any of us ever will be. And um, I, I especially think if you look at the science of gender and sex, as, as binary as we want to say that it is, I think the science is secure in saying that actually it's a bit more of a spectrum in, the, in terms of um, like there are people that are 100% male and 100% female, and there's people that are both. All, all the point I'm trying to make is like the saying that men are, are stronger and, and women um, are more dainty and delicate is really only just a generalization. Um, and the science shows that it's a bit more of a spectrum. And that may make some uncomfortable, but that's just a fact of the world we live in. The other thing I wanted to say too was, um, I don't know that we should get into the theological positions about whether women should be allowed to preach or to teach or any of that, because that's, I think, a completely different set of biblical interpretation. But I do want to make clear that whatever you believe about that, I think we all can agree that um, women in secular positions like in workplaces and uh, in the home should not be lesser or dominated by males, should not be abused physically, spiritually, whatever, and should be able to make the same amount of money in a secular job than a man. Um, Female actresses should be paid the same as the male actors. And that's completely separate from the theological position about whether they can preach or teach over a man in the church. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Look, I grew up with the Gatorade commercials where it was anything you can do, I can do better. So that's all I needed to know. And I I agree with you for the sake of this conversation, because even if even if you uh, come from a tradition that does take that stance of women being preachers or elders, even there, ultimately what we're talking about are roles and responsibilities. And even there, the idea is not that one is closer to God than the other, or one is of more worth than the other, or one is more sacred than the other. It's that both are equally valuable and both image God that that just reflects itself in in different ways when it comes to the roles and responsibilities that we have. So I would still say the same thing applies regardless of your position on that topic. But we need to get into that in a different episode. Oh, for course. sure. 
That's a good question. Um, but, but what I see with this idea of God as male, we've talked a lot about how that can really mess up our relationships with other people and ways that we've seen that in society. I, I think it might also be worth talking about how we've seen that harm people's relationship with God and ability to connect with God when we say, well, there's only one box of qualities here that describe God. And that's, that's the only box that you can go in to identify, relate to, connect with God. So I was thinking about this on the ride over here, but when we only use one name, one metaphor or one gender to describe God, we're doing like what Chris and Barbie said, we're putting God in a box. And I think in the long run, that has a huge detrimental effect to your relationship with God. Because uh, what I've read about the use of metaphors in our brains, the metaphors we use and the names we ascribe things are associated with feelings in our brain. So for instance, when you have a relationship with your car and you name your car like Maurice and when your car is acting up and you give it personification, R.I.P. Like, oh, Maurice, Maurice is way. Maurice is angry right now because the engine is like really sounded weird. I don't even what have Maurice anymore. That? It's that R.I.P. And the it's reason when people lose a car and they feel emotionally sad is because what happens in our brain is when we ascribe metaphors and names that we already have associations with, you know, in other aspects of life, like, oh, she is angry. Oh, look how pretty she is referring to your car. Your brain is attaching emotions to your car, even though your car has no emotions. And we do the same thing with God. And when we give God only one gender name or one metaphor we're limiting the associations that can be connected in our brain and the feelings that come up when we refer to God. So if God is only male, you're only getting male associations, feelings to the male relationships in your life. Right. And if they're not good, no wonder when you use the word God in America, in our society, most people in religious sex or not, Think of an angry, domineering, powerful thing who is out to punish you and is wondering if you are out past curfew or, you know what I mean? And it's this, there are no nurturing, there are no loving. And it's not even to say that men can't be nurturing and only women can be nurturing, but it all has to do with the associations you have in your life already established and what's going on in your brain. And to me, I think you're missing out so much when you limit God like that. Well, and the problem also is that you could have really great associations with father or male, having had a wonderful earthly father, you know, and felt um, cared for and protected and then had an experience or something come along at some point in your life that then harms your image of male. And then what do you do with that? Right. Like there's if we start boxing it in that way, we end up, um, 
I just think that can cause a great deal of damage because we haven't allowed ourselves the freedom to have God operate outside of all of that, that he is separate from bigger than, more than. And so at some point, even if it was a great connection, as you say, Andrew, in your brain, a great emotional connection and something that brought stability, that could be destroyed um, at some point in your life. And then what do you do? What do you do with that? Ultimately, God is a triune being that is not human, male or female, like we've said. And Barbie, I think the point you made earlier, like it's so telling in our society that when a book was written that God, who has no form, in the story took a form that that character needed to heal and process from a traumatic event, that all the Christians in America went, wait, (laughs) that's not right. God's not a woman. Like It was just like so many red flags, and I'm just like... What does that say about our about our society, about our connections mm-hmm. in our brain to who and what God is? And uh, it's just, yeah, like we've been saying this whole section, really this whole episode, it's just not helpful. And every time God's portrayed as a man in movies, no one cares. Exactly. Right, right. I mean, what are we afraid of? Right. Because I really do believe that somewhere down at the root is fear. That somehow that's going to turn it all upside down and it's all going to go crazy and the world will end because God isn't a man. (laughs) I don't know. Which I think is, is weird because we're so comfortable using parent imagery with God. And when you think even just about earthly parents... There are a lot of people that I know who are single parents raising a child and they are amazing. Like they're heroes to me, the way that they find the way to do all of that themselves. But I'm sure even they would admit that they're, you know, if it's a single mother raising a daughter that like she still sees a need for a healthy male figure in that child's life as well and vice versa that there's something about both the masculine and feminine components coming together that create the most healthy environment and if we get that with earthly parents why can we not get that with God as well what does it do to us if God is both but the truth is he's neither like that's even the you know what I mean like is he both Is he neither? I I think that's a really good question because a lot of times in these episodes, we find it necessary to do a segment I like to refer to as, what are we not saying? (laughs) Uh, We're not saying God's a woman. Right. Because that's that's just as unhelpful as the other question. Exactly. To say, well, God's not male because God is female. It's like, we're asking the wrong questions here. Something I have heard and read from Richard Rohr, which I think is is unbelievably helpful in this conversation, thinking about the Trinity. He has a book out called The Divine Dance that's all about the Trinity. And one of his quotes is that God is diversity in relationship. And when you really think about that, it's three persons completely unique with their own qualities and even like jobs, complete diversity, yet so in relationship with one another that they are one being. 
And I just think that we can learn so much as humans made in the image of that God of not only how we relate with the different parts of ourselves that are distinct and how we can be one person and not only with like husband and wife in a relationship and how they can become one, but with all of humanity, brothers and sisters, male and female, to be able to be diversity in relationship and therefore through our relationship collectively reflect the image of God. And that goes back to the creation of Eve and Adam and Eve. And if you look at what was the problem God was trying to solve, was God like, man, Adam has no one to boss around. <laughs> Who's going to make Adam a sandwich? <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was God saw Adam and he saw that he was alone. And God being relationship at its core, his core, her core, its core, said, the problem I'm going to fix is that Adam is alone and I'm going to give him a helper, a savior, a redeemer to redeem that problem. Not he had no one to subjugate. He had no one to boss around. It's he was alone. He needed relationship. I heard someone say uh, the preacher at a wedding say the other day, and it's a little cheesy, um, but it was still nevertheless profound. He said that uh, when God made Eve from Adam, uh, he didn't make Eve from Adam's foot to be under him and didn't make Eve from Adam's head to be over him, but rather from the rib to be equal alongside. And I thought that that was, that was a pretty profound way to look at it. And close to his heart. Oh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was a good, like a good wedding, wedding thing. Well, and I think that this, all of this comes back to, I mean, all the problems in our world. Let's solve them right here. <laughs> That's right. That's what this podcast is for. <laughs> if we all really understood what it means to consider others as more important than yourself, not consider men more important than yourself, consider female, you know, like it's, it's this idea of, of recognizing the importance of humans, yeah. human life. All of it, male, female, young, old, this recognition that human life, male and female, all have this innate, beautiful worth because of the God that created them. And that if we truly honor Jesus, we're going to lift up all life. We're, we're never going to want to tread on another human. It's going to Christian or otherwise, we look at the lost as people to be lifted up and shown love and respect and honor in hopes that they will meet this amazing God who created them. We look for that in all people. Yep. My wife hates sports like she could not care less about any sport and imagine how detrimental it would be to our relationship if I told my wife, the only way you can connect with me, the only way you can relate to me, the only way you can experience love for me is if you figure out how to like sports. That would be ridiculous. And I think that there's something freeing 
when we tell all people, but especially females, that the feminine qualities within you are just as sacred as the male qualities and are just as close to God's heart. And you can connect with God just as much through those qualities as through male qualities, because all of these qualities within us are part of the image of God. Like they're they're God created them in us because they all reflect who God is and what God is like. Yep. And just for the sake of referencing what I said earlier about like generalizations and um, like pigeonholing genders and stuff, I also don't care for sports. And I also enjoy um, movies about love that make me cry. And uh, that does not make me any less of a man. And like... That's just one example of an entire spectrum of the like human individuals that um, are, you know, a conglomeration of identity and experiences and thoughts. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's not as binary and generalized as we sometimes like to think. I love sports, but I watch The Bachelorette every week because <laughs> it is amazing. That's so, a whole other podcast. Yes. Yeah, that's well, something else, hey, man. <laughs> before we move into better questions territory, there's one more question I need to pose to the three of you because we can't conclude this podcast without asking it. If it's true that there is not something more sacred, more holy, more divine about the male over the feminine, then why did Jesus come as a male and not as a female timing. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I have an answer to that question. And to me, it seems very simple. And it's basically that had he come as a female, when he came in that society, his message would not have taken off the way that it did. Um, and that's uh, like, if you look at in that ancient um, Roman, dominated society in Palestine at that time in the Jewish culture, a woman could not even be a witness in court. A woman could not be a rabbi and have disciples and teach in the synagogue. So that's like half of Jesus' ministry right there. Um, and so, yeah, it wouldn't have, I don't, I just think it wouldn't have gone across. And I think God in his infinite wisdom knew that. Also, if you had Jesus right here, and we were just like, everyone in the church was like, why'd you come as a male, not a female? I think you'd just be like, this is what you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, did you not hear anything I taught and how it had nothing to do with what you're asking me right now? <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, but, but I, I, get, I get the question. Well, and again, that comes to the problem of assigning modern perceptions onto ancient scripture. You know, so we're asking questions that were like, well, if Jesus really, you know, if God didn't care, then Jesus should have been a woman. And you're not bringing into any, you know, there's no nothing to base that on when you're talking about an ancient culture. And we see Jesus elevate women right. in a culture that was male dominated over and over Who and over Who paid all of Jesus's bills? Women. Who were the, the first ones to, to find the tomb empty? Women. Yep. Well, and one th one thing that I typically also say on this issue a lot is 
when you especially look at the early church and some of the original councils and all of that, where they were really wrestling through like, who was Jesus and what exactly did Jesus do and how did Jesus do it? You never once hear any of those answers be, well, Jesus is the savior of the world because he is male. You see Jesus is the savior of the world because in Jesus, God becomes human. Can I say one other thing that probably goes back to the other point I was making about, um, you know, the, the fundamental flaw in us as humans, where we, where we don't honor and respect human life, you know, in all of its beautiful forms. I've just been thinking about this a lot. You can put this in there or not because we've recently had um, a story come to light of a girl in our ministry who was sexually assaulted and she has been beating herself up for a year thinking because I didn't like physically claw at him and yell, no, stop, that somehow she invited this into her life and she's uh, somehow responsible. Sorry, it kind of chokes me up. So what I think is fascinating is this idea that we, like I watch movies where you see someone like pick up a bat and go to bash a human to death. And like, I try in my mind to understand what is so fundamentally broken inside someone that they would be able to pick up a weapon of any kind and kill another human being. Like I try to get... I understand there's war and all of, but I mean, just random gang violence. I I just don't think it's in me to be able to do that. And I think that that falls in these areas of sexual assault as well. What is fundamentally broken or wrong that a young man, and because this happens all the time, there is an unconscious drunk person laying on your bed and you think, I can take advantage of that. Like we, that stuff is what really just wrecks me at night about um, this idea of male domination, that it is okay for me to take from you because I can. I have a thought on that. I, I recently was experimenting with this image in my mind and kind of was working on trying to write it out. I was taking a different approach the approach I was taking with it was more about when we think that our views are more right than other people's, but I think it still applies to this conversation on how as humans, we tend to view things on a line and like we're on one end of the line and God is on the other end of the line. And as we get closer to God on the line, that means everyone else that's not where we are is further back, which makes us view ourselves as more like God, closer to God, more godly, ultimately more of a person than those people who are back further. And my argument was that we need to view it less like a line and more like a circle where God's in the middle and we're all equally distant and we all need Jesus to get to the center. But the point being In this issue as well, if you view God as male and I'm male and you're not, 
Like, where does that put me in relation to how I view myself compared to you? And then we see all these types of actions that we've seen throughout history. As we transition into trying to form a better question, for me, I think it comes back to we need to take a page out of the Jewish playbook and kind of go back to our roots. And that I love the fact that when God uh, first reveals his name to Moses, he, you know, he he purposefully, it seems like, gives him a name that you can't put in a box. So Moses says, who should I tell my people who you are? And God says, I am who I am. And how do you put that in a box? And then the Jewish tradition became, we don't even write that name and we don't speak it. Because if you don't do that, you can't control that name. Because in that time, if you spoke a name, you had power over that thing. And so by not speaking God's name or writing it, it leaves this understanding in the collective consciousness that God is all transcendent. God transcends all of our human understandings, metaphors, names, labels, ideas. And it gives this natural reverence to who God is. And you can't just take God and say, this is who he is completely. Mm -hmm. And it's all helpful metaphors that work for a specific purpose. And I think whatever question we formulate should keep the spirit of I am who I am, Mm -hmm. this this all-transcending understanding of God. I would like to continue Andrew's train of not actually submitting a better question, but (laughs) saying more things that help lead us there. So I, when Barbie and I co-taught this message together, one of the ways I ended the message was by explaining that when we're talking about God, we are talking about the infinite, the creator of everything. And all we have to try to describe this God are the images and the words that exist around us. And so there are images of father in the Bible. There are images of mother in the Bible. God is described as an earthquake, as thunder, as lightning. God appears in a burning bush. God appears in a talking donkey. Like all sorts of images. And if you think about God as the creator of everything, then it would make sense that all things in his creation reflect who he is and what he's like in some way. So again, I don't know the question, but we got to be expanding the box, not confining it. Right. Dan, do you have an elaborate non-answer like Chris and I? Um, <laughs> no. I've <laughs> I've been thinking, like, what is at the heart of asking, is God male? And I think because I don't really know that putting any gender to it is super helpful for all the reasons that we uh, have already said. So really, at the heart of it, we're asking, who is God? That's exactly the question I was thinking. And that, I think, is a much better question because it's not a yes or no. 
and it leads you to take action in researching, uh, scouring scripture, finding every reference you can to every metaphor and every description. And then after looking scripture, reading commentaries and other books um, like The Divine Dance by Richard Rohr that, ta- that just meditates on who God is. And then you match that up with your experience. Who is God in my life every day, every moment? Um, who is God right now? And you're going to find that you're going to start using those same descriptors. Man, today God is my salvation. God is my rock. He's my refuge. I need God to be nurturing and protecting like a mother hen right now. Or I need God to be a strong, mighty fortress, my protector and warrior. By the way, uh, female could be warrior too. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um and you ask, who is God uh, in general and to me? I love that because when I think about other relationships in my wife or in my life, for example, my wife, um, I have known her since eighth grade. Uh, we now have been married for five years. And when I ask the question, like, who is my wife? The longer I know her the more expansive that my answer to that question becomes like who she is to me or who, what I discover about her doesn't become more and more constricted. The longer we're together, it's the exact opposite. And so I love that question because that's exactly what we're trying to point out here is that when, as we ask the question, who is God? And we go on that journey of discovery we really just keep adding more and more images and more and more words to it versus it getting more and more constrictive. Well, and from a teacher standpoint, because I taught high school for several years, the worst questions in the world to ask are the ones that require a student to say yes or no. The best questions in the world are the ones that ask students to reveal what they know and then to go on a discovery to find more. And so from the podcast that I've listened to, I think that's the direction you guys are always heading. So many people want yes or no questions because on the surface, they seem easier. But the truth is they just cause all kinds of problems and they don't invite relationship or discovery. And God is all about relationship. It's that's what he wants. And so when we ask who is God, I think you're right, Dan, it will provoke a search um, a conversation, prayer, to to find out what the answer to that question is, which, of course, I think this podcast also has revealed, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when we think we do, we're probably going to be surprised to find he's even more. Absolutely. Preach it. I mean, teach it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have a, a second to your question I'd like to throw out. I'd love to hear it. I think another question we could ask individually is how am I limiting God with my words? Wow. And, and, and that's something after reading some of the books I'm reading now and looking back at the Jewish tradition is I've really challenged myself with that is if I'm only picturing God as a male or as like a human or just as like these select metaphors, how am I limiting him in my understanding? And by limiting him, am I also limiting my relationship with him or it or 
whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think if we ask ourselves that on a regular basis, we can get out of these engraved habits of, you know, having a very narrow picture and understanding of God. And if we just stop and slow down and, and ask, how am I limiting God with my words and think back to how did God describe himself? And he used very non-limiting language. I am who I am. And that's, wow, you can meditate on that name. I am who I am much longer than you can meditate on. What does it mean to be a father, a, a hen, a rock, a fortress? Because those only go so far, but the, the name I am, you can meditate that on forever. Yeah. Well, to take that even further, not only how am I limiting God for me, but if I'm only using those kinds of words in all the conversations that Mm -hmm. I'm having with other believers, with uh, people that I mentor, with the lost, then I'm limiting for them as well with the words that I'm using. And I think we have to be really careful about that. I like what you're saying, Andrew, um, because another translation that I've often heard into English, um, with that name of God, I am who I am, but I've also heard like, I, I will be what I will be. And I think that's really profound for this discussion because in that name, it's almost as if God is saying like, don't pick one thing for me to be cause I'll be what I will be. Like I'll be whatever I want to be. And that, uh, I've been thinking about some other things that I've, um, just been listening to and reading in books and stuff. And, uh, again, I would just been on a Richard Rohr kick, but he said something in a podcast I listened to that like really blew my mind. Um, which is, and, and it relates to this question because you ask who is God? And I, you know, there's a lot of people out there that answer that question very differently than like the Christian. Uh, there's so many other religions out there that would answer that question differently. And um, Richard Rohr would say that every religion is actually stumbling on a little bit of God's truth and is interacting with a certain aspect of the Trinity. And if you really boil it down, like Native American religions are all about the great spirit. And if you really think about and and look at what they're talking about, it sounds a lot like the Holy Spirit side of the Trinity. Or um, you look at like Muslim or Buddhist or even like a lot of the polytheistic religions, there's always like Allah or the like supreme God like Zeus. And it has that idea of the father, like the all powerful sitting on the throne, father God, who is creator. Um, And then in the Christian religion, um, we have Jesus and um, Richard Rohr would uh, would say 100 percent that Jesus is important. And what he did on the cross for salvation is the cornerstone of our faith. But a lot of times Christians elevate Jesus so much that they forget about the other two sides of God and more specifically the Holy Spirit. And so when we're I think I like this question, who is God so much because um Christians and non-Christians can ask it. And if we use the right words as Christians, we can relate to non-Christians or people of other faith through those different ways to, to view God. 
because all of a sudden we can start talking about the Holy Spirit and a Native American will go, oh, I believe in that spirit too. And boom, we've just found common ground to begin a conversation about Christ. Or we can talk to, um, uh, you know, someone who's Buddhist and talk about God the Father in language that they would respond to. Um, and you get where I'm going with that. I think that's beautiful to be able to ask who is God and to not use limiting language so that we can relate to everyone. And I think that's what Paul did. Exactly. You know, the, the what was it? The unknown God, the temple or temple to the unknown God, where he, he took what the people already do. And then he just connected that right to the person of Jesus for them. Exactly. And I, I think you're exactly right, Dan. We have to be ready and equipped to be able to talk about God in ways that open doors and don't close doors. Barbie, as our guest, is there anything else you'd like to contribute to the conversation that we didn't get to talk about? I think it's valuable that you're here, um, especially for this topic. And so I'd love to hear anything else you'd like to say. No, I'm just, I'm incredibly thankful that this conversation is happening. I'm, I'm proud to be a part of a group of people. And I'm, I'd say that having co-taught with Chris to our student ministry, um, that we're willing to, to broach the subject because I think we need to, I think it's helpful. And like anything, even this conversation could become warped and wrong in so many ways. And I think we have to be careful, but, um, it's valuable. It's important. I think we have to keep trying to uncover what's true and right and just and what would please God. And hopefully that will make some changes in our world. If it's even if it just started with four of us having this conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, these better questions are meant to just be a starting point that we hope you keep running with. So if you come up with your own better questions, let us know. You can leave a comment on betterquestionspodcast.com. And as always, if you are enjoying these conversations, please leave us a rating on iTunes and share on social media. Again, this was episode eight, and we only have two more episodes left for season one. So we hope that you are enjoying these episodes, and we will see you next time.